For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamab, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word shema. Good morning. Good morning. Do you love those videos? They're so interesting. Well, this week the word Shema is going to come up several times. So now that we know what Shema means, we're going to dive in. Does that sound good? So when you think about um, the good life that God has for you, what kind of components would make a good life? Like a good life from the Lord. What would you want? If you were like, here are the things I would like, God, in my life. Good things. Peace? Family? Health? Provision? Hope? Community? Fruitfulness? 
Well, none of you have listed the one that we're talking about today. Joy? Obedience? Oh, no, no. So what we're talking about today is difficult people. None of you put that on your list. Why not? Are you not a fan of difficult people? You're like, my perfect life is filled with people who are conflict-ridden. Filled with people who just make life miserable for everyone else. <laughs> you don't have that on your list? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, in my life, I am addicted to reducing pain. How about you? And so we make decisions like this and pain, I will walk away from that because I'm going to pursue good things. But we've been learning through our Names of God study that oftentimes he calls us into difficult because he wants to do something there. But I have this weird reaction to difficult people. I get mad. <laughs> and I say stupid things. And I regret those stupid things most times. And, um, and I just want to run away. I don't like it. And a few years ago, I got involved with a project that I was really passionate about the project. And so I joined this team, and I started going to meetings. And pretty early on, I realized they've been working together for a while, and they're not interested in having a new teammate. And I was coming home to Josh, and I was like, I don't know why I go. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be there. They're so rude to me. It just felt like I wasn't valued. You know, I wasn't heard. Like, I would say something, and I would get shut down. And then there was this one specific person. She just liked to make sure I knew that I wasn't really wanted. And it's, like, so difficult. And, you know, Josh, who's this, like, chill guy, he goes, stop going. Just don't go. That's Josh's way to deal with difficult people. Haven't you noticed? Like, he's, like, pumping the air. Josh is this super peaceful guy because he won't put up with you. Like, he'll just walk away. But I'm like, but I love the project, babe. I'm passionate about the project. And he's like, then stay. Like, he's so... <laughs> Stop your whining. If God has you there, be there. And I'm like, well, does God have me there? Yeah, maybe he's put me there to help bring change. Okay, that's good. I can, I can embrace that. So then I was praying. I was like, God, if you could just make it a little more tolerable. And if I'm there to help, help this lady be less, like, angsty all the time, like, can we just fast track that? You know? <laughs> Can we, like, be done with it? You guys, nothing changed. Nothing. It was brutal. And, and I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time praying about it. But the question we're going to talk about today is, does knowing God make a difference in everyday life? Now, we know we have heaven. We know we have eternity. And that is secure. But what about the earth life? Does God make a difference in our earth life? Does God make a difference with difficult people? Because do you have some in your life? Maybe you work with some. Maybe you volunteer with some like I was doing. Maybe you uh, have some in your family and you're like, oh man, Thanksgiving. I'm going to sit on the other side of the room. I don't want to deal with that difficult person. Sometimes you can't run away, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. You ready for it? Feel good? Okay, you ready to shema? Shema, shema. Uh, Larry's going to be praying for us this morning, which I'm so glad. 
We love you guys. Cue walking music. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Lord, that, that you are here today and that your presence is surrounding us. And not just today, but every day that we come, that we wake up, Lord God, you're there. Your presence is with us. Thank you for the miracles that uh, you did today. Mm. Uh, just lift up Kurt and Julie to you and ask that you bless them in body, mind, and spirit. And we ask that you refresh their spirits during this time of sabbatical. For Justine today, Lord God, we just ask that you inhabit the words and ideas that she that you've given her to share with us today, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, that we would shema her uh, today and shema you, and that you put your word in our hearts for this uh, for this week and for all time. Help us to grow today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Larry. Hey, guys, I do not have an advance button. If you guys could advance for me. Thank you. It was on. No, it was. We will see. When I press the advance button, if it doesn't slide with me, you'll know it wasn't user error. Embarrassed. Uh, so, guys, we're with um, the story of Abram and Sarai. Later, they get renamed Abraham and Sarah. I may use those names interchangeably because Abram and Sarai are tricky to say. So, you know who I'm talking about. So, we are kind of partway in their journey, um, right from the beginning of Abraham's story with the Lord were promises of descendants, right from the get-go. He says, I'm calling you out of your land and I'm leading you to a place and you will have descendants. So this is a very long promise in their lives and lots have happened. Their story is full of ups and downs. It's, it's interesting. So dive into Genesis if you want to get the scoop on Abram and Sarai. Um, they make a lot of bad choices and it's great to watch. So, you know, it's kind of like reality TV in a book. Um, and so anyway, we are with um, Abram, and the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. This is a, again and again and again he said this, okay? This is not new news. But just before this, Abram has said, I don't have any descendants. You said I would. Are one of my, like, slaves going to get my inheritance? I don't understand what your plan is. So God's just reaffirming it. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. In New Testament words, Abram's saved. <laughs> Abram has a relationship with God, right? So Abram is God's people. All agree? Okay. Are you ready for what comes next? <laughs> Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai called, said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. It's an interesting way to phrase it, right? It's God's problem. Go and sleep with my servant. It may be that I can have children through her. Now, this is not like as crazy as we would think. This is common practice for this era of time because you need someone to inherit 
your things. I mean, Abram had a large thing happening. There were lots of jobs involved. If there wasn't somebody to take over when he passed away, what would happen to all the people and all that? You know what I mean? He, he had like a, a fairly big operation happening, okay? So this is important. This is not just, oh, we wanted to have kids and we didn't have kids. It's like, no, this, is, this is, affects so many lives that this gets sorted out, okay? Um, and Abram shamad Sarai. Who is Abram supposed to be shamaying? God. But that's okay. He's listening to his wife. I'm also a supporter of that. Okay. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> I'd like the next verse to be like, but, but Abram was like, hang on a minute. Let's talk to the living God, the one who has talked to us about this before, the one who has given us all these promises. Let's just time out and check in with him. But he's like, oh no, young Egyptian girl's going to have my kids. I, let's just go. There was no hesitation. That concerns me. You know? So Abram went into Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. That word contempt is made her little in her eyes. Finally, Hagar is queen. And she's going to make Sarai know it. Not fun. <laughs> because she's a surrogate. It wasn't meant to be like this. This was meant to be a blessing to Sarai. It was meant to be her dream come true. She's lived a long life waiting for God's promise. Ordinarily, she would have had many, 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 many children. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. What? <laughs> I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Oh, suddenly God's involved again. <laughs> suddenly it's convenient. Oh, now the Lord. Let the Lord decide who's in the right. I mean, she lost her mind. <laughs> Abram replied, look, she's your servant. Not she's my wife. Oh, no, no, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. In the wilderness, you guys, she ran away. That's not something you like do flippantly. This is like a life and death choice. Well pregnant. Good point, Robert. Okay, I so. When I look at this story and I think about like what's happening, I, I don't know who to root for. Who's the hero of this story? Who's the protagonist? Who's the one that we're like, I feel what they're going through and I want them to succeed and I want to be a part of this and I'm rooting for them. Who, who's your favorite? Who's Team Abram? Okay, no judgment, just... 
Throw those hands up. Okay, who's Team Sarai? Lance. We got one. Who's Team Hagar? Whoa, and we have like Team Nobody. Team abstaining from being, oh, Team God? Team God. I saw all the people just do that. (laughs) Team God. But these are God's people. You don't want to root for God's people? You guys, this is the mother and father of the lineage of Christ. These are our forefathers. Remember some of the stories we've been looking at? I am the God of Abram. I am the God of Isaac. These are God's people. They're his best people. These are the... You don't root for them? No, because they're, they're being difficult. They're being ridiculous. This is very Jerry Springer. <laughs> right? It's a little... You... Da, 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 da. Like, it just... It's crazy. All right. So here we go with Hagar. Are you ready? The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, I know who you are. I know your name. Where have you come from and where are you going? Does this remind you of the Garden of Eden when God called out to Adam and Eve? Where are you guys? Like God didn't know, but he's just inviting, just inviting you in to have a chat about this. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. No, thank you. (laughs) No, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Oh, there's a future in that place? There's a path for me there? I didn't know that. I felt unseen, unheard, not valued. But you're telling me there's a future there. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael. Shama El is Ishmael's name. God hears and acts, as we know that Shama means. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. That's huge. Shema El. God hears and acts on her behalf. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. No mother of a son wants to hear that. No discipline you try will work. (laughs) That's basically what... No, thank you. I don't want that prophecy. Um, He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. He's not going to make friends. He's just going to make enemies. This is getting worse. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. (laughs) That's an epic prophetic word. And Hagar's response? From then on, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her, she said, you are the God who sees me, Elroy. She also said, here I have seen the one who looks after me. So Hagar gave Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. When I think about the equation of what just happened, it doesn't add up right. 
So Hagar's run away from a brutal mistress. I mean, Sarai, she went after Hagar and made her life miserable to the point that Hagar was ready to choose death. And then an angel comes and says, go back and submit. God hears you and is acting on your behalf. You will have many descendants. P.S. Your son's going to be a bit of a problem. And she says, God sees me. I'm so ready to go back. That, isn't, that doesn't add up, right? We would want it to be, um, you know, Hagar, God hears you. This is unfair. He's going to make you a princess of another land. And one day you'll pay her back, just like pretty woman. Like, one day you'll get to be like, ha ha, should have treated me better. And then your son's going to be well loved. Because you didn't ask for this. You didn't ask to be brought into this relationship. You didn't ask to be pregnant by Abram. You didn't ask for any of this. And I hear you and I see you and I'm pulling you out, baby. You don't have to go back. I'm your redeemer. I'm mighty to save. Let's go. Let's get out of here. And then she goes, God sees me. Didn't happen. It's weird, right? Because again, remember, I like to run away from pain. (laughs) And I like to think when God is good, there is no pain. But let's say it again. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God. Right? Before, she had to fight for herself because she was not seen and she was not heard and she was not valued, right? She was not. And so when you get in a situation like that, do you guys feel like this ever? I, <laughs> I did some surveying on Facebook and Instagram this week, so thank you all who participated in that. I was trying to find like this common experience that all humanity shares that makes us all go And I thought it was people cutting you off in traffic. I mean, that's mine. But apparently, some of you are very full of grace and love and peace, and you're like, oh, I just think, well, he's not a great driver. And I just give him room on the road. That's a friend of mine told me that this week. And I was like, what's wrong with you? You're meant to get mad when people cut you off. Who gets mad when people cut you off? You're my people. (laughs) But what in your life makes you go, oh, those are fighting words. Don't say that to me. Like maybe you have a relative that says, like mistreats you and says things to you and you're like, I have said to you over and over that those words make me really uncomfortable and I'm trying to have a relationship with you, but you are keeping on doing it. And you just get that fight in you. Do you know what I mean? That fight is because you don't feel seen or heard or valued, right? And you're like, I just want to be valued and so you don't value me, so now I'm going to have to fist up. We have to get after you about this, and it makes you really defensive. Do you know what I'm feeling? That angsty feeling inside. So, you know, I always tell nice stories about Josh. Do you know why I do that, by the way? It's because I'm choosing to see the best about him. That's how you stay in love with someone. <laughs> so people are like, tell some bad stories about Josh, just so we know we have, he has some. Okay, I got one for you. So... <laughs> Well, first of all, we were talking through this about two weeks ago, and, and I was saying to him, how do you deal with this? And he goes, well, I have this at work. I feel like I go into meetings, and I'm not, like, I'm not feeling like I'm, I have the skill set to pull it off, or I'm working with difficult people, and, I, and so I just stop, and I ask the Lord to be part of my meeting. And I'm like, you do? How do you 
remember to do that. And he goes, it's not a matter of remembering. I'm desperate for God to be a part of that meeting. I'm like, oh, you're such a great guy. So then uh, this week, he's driving to work. What happened, babe? A guy cut you off. And you're so peaceful, so you were like, you can have the road, dude, no problem. Yeah. What'd you do? Yeah, yeah. Josh is not as nice as you all thought. He, he did it under the dashboard. Because he, it out the window. He, he flipped the bird, but under the steering wheel, so nobody would know. But guess what? Everyone knows now, babe. Everyone knows. <laughs> also, there have been a few times when I've seen Josh fist up. And, and one of them was in a, in a situation, it was, it's like... 10 years ago now, and there was a person who was like berating another person, like going after this other person and attacking and attacking. And I literally watched Josh go with his fists. And I was like, you can't punch her. You can't punch that lady. You gotta walk away. And you wouldn't have, but you were like so mad. And so I think a lot of us get mad when we see someone who needs protecting. You know, we, need, we see someone who like, I need to rescue them. And there's this like, like, um, justice, like I'm going to rise up, and I'm not talking about that kind of mad. I'm talking about the kind of mad where you are having your identity squished by someone. That's Hagar's reality. And she went back. Now, guys, the situation doesn't change. Nothing changes. I know that because of what we're going to read next. But Hagar is changed. And there's something about, you know, I see the one who sees me. I see him now. I see that he's there with me. He hears me. He shamas. He hears and acts. He sees me and he cares for me. I don't have to fight for myself anymore. I am seen, I am heard, and it doesn't matter if the people in that situation see or hear me, it does not matter. The living God sees me. My case is being worked on. I don't have to make it happen myself. So cool, right? I would expect that the father and mother of our faith would have that reality in their hearts. But no, Hagar is the one. Of all the people on the planet that should have known God sees me and God hears me, it's the two people that have actually had a conversation with God. Most of the people on the planet at this time are worshipping multiple deities. Abram's the one who knows the one living God. I expect more of them, right? You know what it points out to me? You can have a calling on your life. You can know God. You can be the top of his, his whole big plan for humanity and never know your identity in him. That is a sobering thought, isn't it? So my kids all have glasses. I recently got glasses and found out that I should have had them my whole life, which is it's quite a change. <laughs> So now I have to wear glasses all the time. I literally wake up in the morning and put them on because I cannot see now because I'm, 
I'm uh, used to having glasses help me, basically. So uh, I said, you know, maybe we should get our kids checked out. And so we did. And so our eldest, who's 10, but she was tested when she was like six, Josh, you think? First grade, somewhere there. And um, yeah, she definitely needs glasses. And then uh, our middle kid needs glasses, but not as much. And then our youngest recently, I didn't realize that he spent his life doing this. And I thought he was just winking. <laughs> but then we'd be driving along and he'd say, my eye hurts. And I'd be like, you're tired, just take a nap. You're okay. Um, no, no. He was having severe pain from um, being farsighted and needing help. And you don't know. There's no way to know that a three-year-old needs glasses, really, except maybe I should have listened to him. That's, you know, mama guilt. But anyway, uh, he comes out of getting his glasses. And if you look, if you know my son, you can look specifically on one side. It's a very thick lens. That's the one that he was winking all the time. Um, so we come out of the getting, picking his glasses up, and we walk outside, and he goes, oh, oh, mommy, trees have leaves? Oh, I thought they were just fuzzy. <laughs> Put these glasses on. See the God who sees you. Stop living life like this. No one sees me, no one hears me, I have to defend myself. These difficult people are making my life terrible and I'm fisting up because I'm sick of it or I'm shutting down because I don't want to deal with it or I'm running away because I can't handle it anymore. Put these glasses on. You are seen and you are heard and he is acting for you and he is with you. You don't have to leave difficult people in the dust in order to encounter the good life God has for you. In fact... It's in the place of difficulty where she experienced peace. From then on, Hagar referred to God with another name. Do you know what this is, you guys? Hagar had a pet name for God, a nickname. No one else called him that. Why? Because they didn't know him like that. This is beautiful. And she was able to go back and have that baby, and she was able to get Abram to hear we need to call him Shema'el, and Abram did it. <laughs> Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concern. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Isn't that what happened with Hagar? God's love displaced worry and filled her with peace and trust and a future. I want to know God like that. I don't want to have to put up with a Sarah Abraham situation, though. But I want to know God like that. So, fast forward... This is years later. Uh oh, we skipped. When Isaac grew up, so here's what happened. 
God came and gave the promise again to Abram and Sarai. Sarai did get pregnant, but we're like 14 years down the road at this point. Abraham was was 86 when he had um, Ishmael, and he's 99 when he had Isaac, the child of promise. Okay, so Ishmael's early teens at this point, okay? Um, When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael making fun of her son Isaac. But it didn't matter to her because she knew that God saw her and took care of her and she didn't have to flip her lid over it. Nope. Um, So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. Total hissy fit. Sarah hasn't changed at all. This tells me that Hagar has been living under the same situation, wouldn't you say? Nothing has changed. But you guys, since the last mention of Hagar, there has not been any record of ongoing conflict between them. Do you know what that means? Hagar had dropped her fist. This isn't Hagar's fault. What happens here, this was not Hagar. This was a 14-year-old being kind of a punk. We know what that's like. We all went through it. Weren't we all that at some point? Also, it was a party about weaning a baby, and they were celebrating the fact that an old woman had had a baby. That's enough to make any teenager giggle. You know, there's stuff going on here, and Sarah can't handle it. She just can't handle her identity being pushed on and questioned. Do you feel that? It's like she loses her mind again. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah, that do whatever is, Shema. Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he's your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush and she went and sat down by herself around 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into tears. Where's God now? But God shamed the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has shamed the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. P.S. I already promised this to you. <laughs> right? Same promise. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And then they lived. And then it records Hagar choosing a wife for Ishmael from Egypt. And they lived. I wanted to include this part of the story because I trust God. And I want to go where he tells me to go, even when it's difficult, right? Because I know that his favor is there. And it's almost like, well, when you're in the will of God, there is a protection, you know what I mean? And he takes care of you there. What happens if you're no longer in the place he told you to be? God told her, go back. And she did. 
and she knew he was there with her. Now she's been forcibly removed. This was not her choice. So she's not where God's favor was. And now she's not sure that God still sees her. When I was talking to God about this, I said, you know, what's going on here? And tell me more about this. And what I felt him say, and this is the word for us today. This is who I am. I am the one who sees. I am the one who hears. I am the one who acts and takes care of. It has nothing to do with you and where you go and what you do. This is my character. It's who I am. And Hagar needed to see it, and we needed to see it in Hagar's story. If we think, I might get it wrong, and I haven't obeyed, and I haven't gone where God wanted me to do, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. You can't mess that up. That's amazing. Man, I wish Sarah had known that. The mother of our faith. I wish she'd known this. Something radical has to happen in our lives for us to make that shift, don't you think? We need to know that God sees us. In your situations, whatever you're dealing with right now, do you have a difficult person who's making your life terrible? Maybe at work, you're like, I just don't want to go to work. Or you dread when the family member calls you on the phone, or or whatever it is that you have going on in your community, your neighbors, and you just want to avoid being a part of it? I want to encourage you to not avoid these difficult people. Hagar knew this amazing thing about God that seemingly everyone else missed (laughs) because of those extremely difficult people. So let this be your hope. God's there with you. He sees you. He knows you deserve to be treated better. He knows. He knows what needs to happen. You know, I really thought God had put me in that work group, that project group, to bring hope and change, none of those people changed. But over time, I saw this lesson in my life. I was praying about it and praying about it, and I felt like God said, this is about your identity. People treating you bad shouldn't change you. It shouldn't even affect you. Water off a duck's back. You shouldn't need to flip people off under the steering wheel. Just because someone cut you off in traffic, who you are needs to be solid. You're my daughter, you are seen, you are heard, I have a plan for you, and no one can mess that up. Stop fighting people. They are inconsequential. Do you you understand? The people that are making your life terrible are inconsequential. Turn to God, trust in him, listen to his words about your identity. You are not worthless. You are not unseen and unheard. Get it? Put it in your heart. Make it an anchor for your life. Cry out to him. He responds. I ask the Father to strengthen you by his spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in, with all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of his love. Reach out, experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights. 
Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We keep coming up in our series learning about knowing God. We keep coming up against difficult circumstances, things we don't want to do, difficult people being the very thing that gives us what we were craving, that good life. We wanted that good life, right? The things we're trying to get rid of are the very things that will give us fullness of life and power that comes from God. I wanted to do a different sermon this week. I wanted to like move on. I was like, haven't we done enough of the difficult circumstances? I mean, do you guys feel it? It's like for the past four weeks, it feels like a very similar word, doesn't it? Go to Egypt. You need Egypt to change you. Climb the mountain. You're going to know something about me when you get there. Go to Mara. Trust me in the bitter places. I will take care of you. Don't try and get rid of the difficult. This is like on and on and on. Apparently, God is trying to tell us something. (laughs) He's been weaving this story together. You can trust him. So we're going to take a minute to just pray. Think of a difficult thing, a difficult person, a difficult situation, something that you're like, this is not cool. I don't want this. I want out. Pull me out, God. And you're desperate. You're desperate for that to change. And we're just going to pray over it. Is that okay? And then we're going to take communion together. Okay? You lean forward and grab that communion. I don't ever actually want to do this, but there's a part of me that feels like we should be like, oh yeah, a difficult person. God's going to do something. I'm going in. I'm sticking around. <laughs> like, like on a scale of zero to 10, are you kind of like a zero? I'd like no difficult people in my life. That's me. I know there are some people that are like, I'm cool with conflict. I'm okay. And you're kind of like a six or a seven. Apparently we should all be tens. <laughs> Apparently we should get excited. When a difficulty pops up, I'm going to learn something about God that no one else knows. I'm going to get to see the God who sees and no one else knows. It, could, it should kind of excite us, shouldn't it? So, Father, we're just lifting this to you. This difficult person, this difficult group of people, my difficult family member, my difficult colleague, my difficult community person. God, I lift this situation to you and I say I am sorry, God, for trying to run away from it. Because you are placing me where you want me and my life is in your hands and I trust you, God. I want to see you, God. I want to see the God who sees me and takes care of me. Give me the courage to walk into this, Father. When Jesus took the bread, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. 
It's his broken body that brings us the ability to endure hardship. It's the power of reconciliation. It's the power of salvation. And when we eat communion, we are saying, I accept the Jesus life. I am walking into the hard things and I believe that your body gives me the power to do that, God. Accept it, Lord. We eat together. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the sins of many. His blood cleans us, gives us a new start. And you are that agent in the people in your life, right? And when we drink it, we're taking in Jesus and we're saying, yes, forgive me of my sins and help me to grow in forgiveness. We drink it together. <laughs>